Over the last few weeks and months, we've all developed new skills as we've navigated new experiences. Some of us have been on a video call for the very first time with a group of people. Some of us have ordered groceries for the first time online. Some of us have taken leaps that we put off, but now we've done it and we've figured out that we can do maybe things that we never thought we could before. But for others of us, that transition hasn't gone so well. There's been moments where we had to help each other turn on the mic or turn on the video where we realized there were things that we just didn't know how to do, we weren't aware of. And for some of us, those moments have been more glaring or maybe even more public. There's a woman named Jennifer, and she works in a company that went virtual, and she and her coworkers hopped on a Zoom one day back in March, and uh, it was one of Jennifer's very first Zoom calls, and she wasn't very familiar with it, but everybody got their video and their audio going until Jennifer realized that she needed to go to the bathroom. And she wasn't aware that if you need to go to the bathroom while you're on a Zoom call, the two rules are do not take the computer with you in the bathroom. And secondly, make sure your audio and your video are muted and turned off. Uh, I, I won't show you what Jennifer looked like. I've blacked out that picture right here, but poor Jennifer is right here. Uh, Kyle's up here laughing at her. Um, Abby is just kind of bewildered. Um, Maria up over here and Julie right here and Valerie right here are all just can't believe what they're watching. Finally, Jennifer is uh, on the toilet and she realizes what happens and she slams her computer shut quickly. And her story went viral. I don't know which of her terrible coworkers posted the the video or the picture, the screen capture, but whoever they are, uh, you know, it was just one of those collective face palm moments. Like, I can't believe she did that. Um, and you might say, how do you not know that you're broadcasting a picture of yourself from your bathroom? Well, that's, that's why I call it a blind spot. Like, you literally don't know what you're doing. And I, I'm not too judgy of uh, Jennifer because I've had my own moments where I had a blind spot. A couple years ago, I, I walked out to preach like I'm doing right now. It was Easter Sunday, kind of a significant Sunday. And uh, Jamie was, was praying over here. And I was kind of mentally going through my checklist uh, as I was getting ready to preach. And I made sure, hey, I need to make sure that my zipper is zipped. And I looked down and it was not. Thank goodness Jamie had not said amen yet, and so I quickly remedied that problem. But uh, our sound engineer in the back and a couple other people who had their eyes open. Sound engineer, eyes should be open. Everybody else, not so much. So those who talk to me, you know who you are. You know, eyes closed. You know the drill. You know how this goes. Anyway, you might say, Scott, that isn't that big of a blind spot. That isn't that big of a deal. Oh, I've, I've made much, much bigger I thought this week about the conversation I had in seminary where I recruited somebody to join a a practicum council for me to help me work through that season of my seminary journey. And he said, no, I can't serve on your team. He said, I don't, I don't think you're actually open to input from people who are older than you, man, that was a hard word to hear. Or the time I graduated, I was serving as a pastor in ministry and a spouse of a staff member over dinner one night told me that I had a blind spot. And that was I walked into the room as a man on a mission to go talk to somebody, but I made everyone else in the room feel like they didn't matter because I didn't acknowledge their presence. Every time my kids turn and say, hey, dad, when are you going to get off your phone? I see a blind spot. Or during COVID-19, my wife, about two or three weeks in, said, honey, you're killing me. I've got to have your help. You've got to be here with me, and you've got to be in this with me. We have to do this together. See, all of those moments were difficult conversations 
that revealed blind spots in me. And while I wouldn't wish the discomfort on you, I will tell you that in each and every one of those conversations, I can trace from the difficult conversation to a change. As difficult and painful as those conversations were, they catalyzed changes that I would not take back. And so if it had to come through a difficult conversation, so be it. That discomfort led to the change I needed. And that's why today, the title of our message for today is Get Uncomfortable. Today, we're going to get uncomfortable together. If you're new to Cornerstone, we're in a series this summer on the book of James. The subtitle of the series is Practical Wisdom for Life's Adventures. The book of James is a book in the Bible, and it's written by a guy named James, who is the half-brother of Jesus. And he writes to people who are going through an incredible adventure, a, a hazardous season. They have been scattered because of persecution. They are Jewish Christians, and they are living in a place that is foreign to them because their home was no longer safe for them. And James speaks to them in very direct ways about the challenges they're facing. And as we're going through James, what we're finding, what I'm finding, what you're finding, is that this book is incredibly practical because it speaks to real life where we live. And we're going to continue this series. This is week three today. And here's our big idea for today. Following Jesus means getting uncomfortable. Following Jesus means getting uncomfortable. If you are going to follow Jesus, what you are embracing is an uncomfortable path. And many times we think that if we follow Jesus, that is the path towards comfort and ease. And I just want to blow that myth up today. If you're going to follow Jesus, it means getting comfortable being uncomfortable. We've been in the book of James chapter 1 for the last couple of weeks, and we're going to wrap up chapter 1 today. So if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up or turn it on. James is between the books of Hebrews and 1 Peter near the back of the Bible. And we're going to spend our time in these nine verses today, James 1, 19 to 27. And since many of you are coming back next week, I want to give you a preview of what we're going to do when we're together. We're going to stand and honor God's word. And so wherever you're watching, would encourage you to stand in honor of God's word right now and follow along. Verse 19 begins, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that our hearts would be open for 
you to speak your word into our hearts today, even if that means getting uncomfortable. And I pray selfishly that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, Jesus. In your name, amen. You can be seated. Today, what I want to do is I want to share with you three reminders. Because if you're like me, when, when you get uncomfortable, when I get uncomfortable, when the pain goes up, I tend to lose my focus. And these things are things we must remember and focus on as we go through our adventure, our challenging season with Jesus. The things we have to remember, we can't forget. Here's the first one. James tells us to lean into the discomfort of listening. Lean into the discomfort of listening. Our temptation is to lean away from the discomfort. But in the same way that you lean in when you listen, lean into the discomfort that's inherent with listening. James begins this section of of James 1 by saying, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear. Your translation may say quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The reason why James has to say this is because this is not our natural, natural process. Our natural process is to be slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to anger. And yet James is saying, hey, lean into the discomfort of listening. Make sure your first response is not speaking or anger, but listening. Listening is uncomfortable because listening is synonymous with vulnerability. If you're the one talking, you're in control of the conversation. And if you never stop talking, you never surrender control of the conversation. But when you put yourself in the posture of listening, you may hear something you don't want to hear. You may have to face something you don't want to face. You may have to reckon with something you've been avoiding. And that's why when you listen to somebody, their words have the ability to cut you deeply or build you up greatly. Listening is an, is an act of vulnerability. And that's why many of us don't go, don't go, down, that, go down the path of listening is because we don't want to be vulnerable. And that's why I just want to encourage you that right now in our culture, the thing that I see happening least is listening. A lot of speaking, a lot of anger, not a lot of listening. And maybe that's because we don't want to be vulnerable. Maybe we don't actually want to hear what we don't want to hear. Maybe that's why maybe this week is one way to apply this message be a challenge for you to call somebody and say, hey, is there anything you've seen in me that's a blind spot? Something I say or do? Something that I just don't even notice, but you do? Maybe it's somebody of another race. While we're having this conversation about race in our country, maybe the the act of vulnerable listening is to call someone of another race and say, hey, have I ever said something or not said something? or done something that I didn't realize the impact it had on you or the message that it sent, and then listen. See, Paul Tillich says the first duty of love is to listen. 
And in the world we live in where few people listen, we now have this moment where if someone listens to you, genuinely listens to you, we interpret that as an act of love. Man, you love me because you really heard me. You love me because you really cared long enough to listen to me. The way we communicate love in this world is by listening genuinely and intently, even if what we hear makes us uncomfortable. James continues with his comments about anger. Remember he said, be slow to anger. Here's why he said, be slow to anger. For anger, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man. Now, now, as I said, you know, Listening is very rare right now. <laughs> anger is super common. You turn on a TV, you scroll your social media feed, it's just anger, 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 anger. And, and I want to remind you what the scripture says about anger. Paul in Ephesians 4 quotes David from Psalm 4. Two virtually synonymous, similar, repeated messages in Psalms and in Ephesians. Both of them say, be angry and do not sin. So the idea logically here is that you can be angry and not sin, that, that one doesn't guarantee the other. What that means is that, that anger in and of itself is not a sin. Think about Jesus. Jesus goes into the temple at the beginning of his public ministry and right before he's arrested and crucified. And what does he do? He turns over the tables in anger because the house of God has been turned into a profit center for evil people. And Jesus is angry. And Jesus is sinless and perfect. So if he was angry and sinless, that means that anger is not a sin. But here's the challenge. They tell us, remind us, be angry and do not sin because it is really difficult to be angry and not see that anger turn into sin. To be angry and not see it produce some act out of it that hurts someone, or that violates the law of God. It's so hard to be angry and not allow your anger to become a fire that burns you and burns others. And I just want to encourage you right now to pay attention to the things that make you angry, to pay attention to your anger, because what I believe is that what angers you reveals what you value. Maybe say, Scott, so why am I so angry? Well, there's something that has been triggered by what you've seen or experienced that reveals a value. Maybe in recent days, you've been angered by what you see as the, the marginalization or the lack of appreciation for people in law enforcement. And maybe that's because you have someone in your family or a close friend who's in law enforcement and you know their character and they're not like some people are portraying them. And that angers you because you value them and you care about them and you know them. Maybe what angers you is, is those who speak in a way that marginalizes and minimizes the experience of people in our country who are black. Who for 250 years were sold as property in this country and then for 100 more fought to even have the basic rights that were latent in the, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence. And in many places, they're still struggling to fight for those rights even today. And, and because you value them and you value those rights, the lack of those things angers you. 
or, or maybe what, what angers you right now is, is the fact that you feel like people who claim the name of Jesus are acting without love. And that reveals the fact that you value love. You value Jesus and you want to see his name not be besmirched, not be brought down. You got to pay attention to what you value. Or maybe, maybe you're angry by what you're hearing because you value being comfortable. Maybe that's why you're angry because you realize you're going to have to give up some comfort and you value comfort above everything else. See, the reason why James is talking about this stuff is that in verse 21, he introduces this idea that God's word has been implanted in our hearts. Like a seed that's put in soil, God's word has been implanted in our hearts. And so James says, get rid of that kind of sinful anger and rampant filth and wickedness that is in the soil of your heart that will not foster an environment where God's word can flourish. And he says, remove those things that are in your control. God put his word in your heart. That wasn't in your control. That's something God did. But you are in control of the soil. So tend to the soil. And if there are things that don't make God's word flourish in your life, remove them. So it isn't just lean into the discomfort of listening to another person. It's lean into the discomfort of listening to God. Sometimes listening to God is inherently uncomfortable because God forces you to deal with things you don't want to deal with. He shows you things you don't want to see. And he's relentless with it until you face it. So lean into the discomfort of listening. Number two, allow God's word to confront and conform you. Allow God's word to confront and conform you. James 1.22, one of the most well-known verses in James, by the way, says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now that word there, hearers, in the Greek is the Greek word akrotai. You might say that's, that's a P, Scott. No, it's actually an R in Greek, akrotai. And akrotai means hearers, especially those who were regular in listening to lectures but never became real disciples. Those are the people who love just consuming knowledge, who love listening and reading and podcasts and audiobooks and TED Talks. Those would be our sources today. And they love listening, but they never really take what they listened to and put it into practice and become real disciples. And Jesus himself spoke to this problem before his half-brother James did. And in Luke 11, Jesus says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This is one of the reasons why the early church took the book of James, his letter to these Jewish Christians, so seriously is they saw that again and again the book of James affirmed and reiterated the words of Jesus. I love how Tony Evans summarizes this section of scripture. He says, without application, there can be no spiritual transformation. If if you don't apply God's word, no matter how much you hear, nothing will change. This is one reason why at Cornerstone, we have a bias 
when it comes to teaching, that teaching be oriented towards application. It's one of the reasons why no matter who teaches here, we ensure that there are next steps at the end of the message and that they're practical. Our goal isn't just to have relevant biblical teaching. We want relevant biblical practical teaching because we all have a next step to take. And following Jesus is as simple as taking the next step God has shown you to take. It's one of the reasons why we have sermon-based community groups because we know our tendency in the church, I'll just tell you my tendency growing up, was that I was involved in four different teaching moments in the church. I went to Sunday school, morning service, night service, Wednesday service, four different messages. Do you know how hard it is to get clarity on what your application is for four messages and work those all out at the same time? Sometimes in the church, and I'm just going to mess with those of you who are, are you know, really churched in your, in your history. Sometimes we use more Bible study as an excuse to not apply what we learned in the Bible study we've already done. Because we keep getting more knowledge at the expense of doing more application. And this is why Tony Evans says, without application, there can be no spiritual transformation. It's not about being a hearer. It's about being a doer. And the transition, the connection, what helps you move from doing, from hearing to doing, is a big word, and it's got lots of baggage, so don't check out when I put it on the screen. It's the word repentance. Now, many of you, when you heard the word repent for the first time, it was from somebody that you could have sworn was angry at you, who was yelling at you, maybe even through a bullhorn, And for so many of us, because of our negative experience with the word repent or repentance, we've just thrown the word away. And that's a tragedy because this word is latent all the way through the Bible in the Old and the New Testament coming at us from the Hebrew language and the Greek language. And when we throw it away, we miss such a rich and important concept. Let me explain to you what repentance is. And take the whole Bible and all the use of the word repentance, the picture you get is literally of somebody going one direction and then doing a 180 and going a different direction. In their heart, sorry, heart's right here, heart, mind, or actions, they were headed one direction, they realized that was the wrong way, and they changed. That's what repentance is. It's saying, I'm going the wrong way, and I'm going to turn and go the right way. And because of that, I think that we need to get more comfortable and familiar with repentance. Because when we hear God's word, what God's word will inevitably show us is there are things in our actions, in our hearts, and in our minds that are not aligned with Jesus and his way. And so we will need to change our direction because of it. And friends, I just have a question for you. Is repentance a distant memory for you? Or is it a recent experience? When's the last time you repented? And if you're having a hard time racking your brain, let me suggest something. It's been too long. Repentance is not a one-time event that you go through when you turn your life over to Jesus, you receive his, 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 his forgiveness, you experience salvation. That is not the one time where it's okay, repentance, one and done. No, no, no. Repentance is this ongoing experience 
that as often as we see something that's not aligned with Jesus, we repent of that and go in a different direction. As our country has experienced incredible turmoil, tension, division over the last few weeks, I've seen a scripture posted by so many friends of mine who are followers of Jesus. And it's this verse from 2 Chronicles 7 that says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And, and it's often put over a beautiful landscape or sunrise or sunset. It's a, a beautiful meme. And, and maybe the beauty is there in the healing or the beauty is there in the picture of somebody praying. But this verse does not paint a pretty picture. It paints a gritty picture. Because what it says is that we are going to humble ourselves We are going to pray and seek the face of God, and we are going to turn from our wicked ways. This verse is not about people who don't believe in God and therefore don't live like it. This verse is about people who are worshipers of God and want to align their life with his. And if you have ever been humbled or humbled yourself, you know that's not always pretty. It's often painful. And if God reveals wickedness in our lives, the, the right and r- righteous response is repentance. Friends, repentance should be normal. It should be normal to hear somebody in your small group say, this week I am repenting of, and fill in the blank. It should be normal around your dinner table to hear people say this. Today, you know what? I realized a blind spot, so today I'm repenting of this. It should be normal to scroll through your social media feed and see someone say, I'm repenting of this. Because none of us are Jesus. I know that's a newsflash for you. The person sitting next to you today watching is like, yep, he's right. You are not Jesus. Well, if I'm not Jesus and I'm not with Jesus in heaven yet, that means there are things in my life that do not reflect Jesus. And so I should be experiencing repentance all the time. Here's this vivid picture James gives us in James 1. He says, if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, and a croatai, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away, and at once he forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. What James is saying is how crazy would it be to look in a mirror and see yourself, what you look like, and then walk away and go, I wonder what I look like. If you do that, you didn't really see yourself. And what James is saying is when you hear the word of God, what it does is it's like a mirror. It shows you yourself. And when you walk away and you don't do in reflection of what you saw, what it shows is that you didn't really hear. You didn't really see. So this week, if you call somebody and you ask them, hey, what's in my blind spot? It would be better for you not to call them. It would be better for you not to ask them than to listen and not change. It'd be better for you not to open your Bible if you're just going to open it and be a hearer. 
Friends, mirrors expose, but Christ transforms. God's goal is not for you to spend your life in front of a mirror navel-gazing. His goal is for the look in Scripture to expose you and that that exposure would lead to transformation as you become a doer of the word. Here's the third reminder. Pay close attention to three things. Your conversations, your compassion, and your conduct. I gave them all C's to help them be easier to remember. Conversations, compassion, conduct. This is how James ends his first chapter. What we call his first chapter, at least. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, think like a horse with a bridle, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What what James is acknowledging and introducing is that there is a gap in the lives of those who received this letter. And that gap is between the things they say they believe and how they live. Between uh, where the faith they profess would manifest itself and what's actually coming out. And again, James is echoing the words of Jesus, who says in Matthew 15, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Some people said it's the longest 12 to 18 inches in the world between your lips and your mouth when they're manifesting different things. Luke 6, Jesus says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And I could not read James 1, 26-27 without thinking about the words of Jesus. And I couldn't just think about the words of Jesus without thinking about what we all see happening online. And I know that it's very easy, it's a, it's a kind of, um, you know, easy punching bag to punch on social media these days, to blame social media for all that is wrong with the world. And I don't blame social media for making people more angry, more vile, more mean. No, what social media did is it revealed what was in people's hearts all along. And it gave them a feeling of security to say things that they felt and thought, but were afraid to say in person. I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody just completely eviscerate me through an email. And then when I call them on the phone and ask them for lunch, it's a very different experience. People who say something, and then when you reply with kindness or gentleness, They're surprised that you reply and they apologize because they had a feeling of anonymity. And so many times in the last few weeks, as we've seen incredibly unprecedented challenges happening in our world, I have scrolled my own social media and been bewildered by what I've seen. Until I remember the words of Jesus, 
who I think if he spoke the words he spoke in Luke 6 today, here's how he would say them. Out of the overflow of the heart, the fingers type. What you're seeing on your social media, what I'm seeing on my social media, is the overflow of people's hearts. And the problem with social media, if there is one, (laughs) this is why it's dangerous, is you can type something faster than you can think if you should be typing it. You can post something before you can reflect on whether you should be posting that thing. But what you see coming out of your fingers is what's actually there in your heart. You can't say, I don't know what came over me. No, no, no. What came out of you is what was in you. Even this week, I saw somebody that I thought I knew do something that was hard to believe. But when you watch somebody do something and it's them in action, what you're seeing is the overflow of their heart. And Jesus, when he talked to us about what our actions should reflect, here's what he says. John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Another translation has said, you know, they will know you by your love. And I feel like the moment we're living in today is, is more like they will know us by our tweets. I can't tell you how many times I've scrolled through a post on either something I've posted or something somebody else has posted and you see the comments. You should never read the comments, but eventually you have to. And you watch these vile things that are said and you click on somebody's profile and you look at it vile and then you see follower of Jesus. And there's a gap. This is why James says, hey, pay attention to your conversations. Pay attention to your conduct and pay attention to the compassion that you're sharing or is absent within you. And friends, these problems that we're facing, they're not new problems. They're old problems. You go back in the Old Testament several thousand years before the time that we're alive today. And in Isaiah 58, you see this powerful picture. If you never read Isaiah 58 before, that's your homework this week. Go home and read Isaiah 58. And read it in the message. Isaiah 58, the people are talking about coming together again to worship, which feels really relevant to where we are right now as a country. We're coming together. We're regathering. And the people say, hey, hey God, should we gather again? Should we throw a festival? Should we fast? And through the prophet Isaiah, God says, no, no, you shouldn't. If you're going to keep doing what you've been doing. Isaiah 58, he says, he says, you honor me with your lips but then you abuse those who work for you. You oppress and mistreat people. And if that is the way you live, Eugene Peterson's translation says, and I think it's Isaiah 58, 4, that way of living won't get your prayers off the ground. Be like a plane that just can't take off. And Isaiah, speaking the words of God, challenges the people to narrow the gap between the worship they're speaking in this kind of context and the way they're living outside of it. And he says, your conduct, your compassion, your conversations, they all need to be aligned with what you say you believe and who you're following. And that's the uncomfortable part, that when you read the word of God, God makes you uncomfortable so that you can become like him and not so that he can condemn you Discomfort is not condemnation. I love the reminder, and I just want to close with this in Romans 5, 
where Paul says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God shows us his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you're facing some things, you're feeling some things, God is addressing some things in you and you are uncomfortable, that's okay. Because guess what? At your worst, Christ died for you. And so if you're having to face the worst inside of you, guess what? It's not a surprise to Jesus. He already saw it and died for it. So don't run from it, but meet him in it, knowing that he loves you in spite of it. But that's not license to ignore it or forget it. That is permission and empowering to deal with it. I mentioned our goal is to teach practically every week. And so I want to walk you through some practical next steps today. Here's the first one. I want to encourage you to pray and practice the words of Psalm 139, 23, and 24 this week. You might say, Scott, I, I don't know what that is. It's okay. I got that in the next slide. Psalm 139, David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous, your Bible may say offensive, way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is right up there with the most dangerous prayers in the Bible. Search me. Try me. See in me, God, if there's anything that grieves and offends you. This is the prayer we pray, I hope, every time we come into God's presence, every time we open the word. And this is the prayer I want to encourage you to pray this week. It's a dangerous prayer. But if you want to walk in the way of Jesus, this is the path, the uncomfortable path. Number two, identify an area of your life where you're not listening and repent. What's a topic you just won't listen about? Who's a person you just won't listen to? What's an area where you've been speaking and been angry and not listening? And once you identify that area, repent not just to God, but to those you haven't listened to. And as public as the not listening has been, as public as the sin is, the repentance should also be. And that often shows what we want. Do we want to be admired or do we want to be like Jesus? And then number three, I want to encourage you to recite James 1.19 at least once per day to yourself every day this week so that you memorize it. What's James 1.19? My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. If you want to get it as a wallpaper, there's a link where you can follow to get that as a wallpaper for your phone. But that, friends, is uncomfortable. Because following Jesus means getting uncomfortable. Let's pray.